In addition to all the community responsibilities that we mentioned so far that the Tzemach Tzedek had to deal with, Maskilim, um, the Agunas, all that type of stuff, the Tzemach Tzedek also took a very special interest in the Chassidim who settled in Eretz Yisrael, and he devoted his time and energy to help them out. When Menachem and the Haradakar and a group of Chassidim first moved to Eretz Yisrael in 1777, this is 50 years before the Tzemach Tzedek became a Rebbe, so the Alter Rebbe created a special tzedakah fund, which we said to date is the oldest tzedakah organization to, in existence today, because it's still around today. That the sole purpose of it was to raise the necessary funds to give them tzedakah, to help them out. The Mittler Rebbe continued to take an active interest in their well-being, to see how they're doing. And when the regular sources of income weren't uh, coming in, so he traveled a lot to raise and borrow money for their support. And his assistance wasn't just helping them with money. It included helping them establishing a very strong community. And he, that's why the Mittler the, the Rebbe sent more families to help them out. To, to keep the community growing, to strengthen the community. And with the Tzemach Tzedek's support that continued, the connection between the Rabbeim and their Hasidim and Eretz Yisrael was strengthened. And despite the enormous amounts of money that Tzemach Tzedek had to raise for the Cantonists and the Chedarim and all that stuff, since, uh, um, sorry, th th this did not affect at all his deep interest that he took in the, in the well-being of the Chassidim in Eretz Yisrael and his efforts to help them. And just like the Altareb and the Middle Rebbe wrote letters reminding Chassidim of the tremendous chus and supporting the, the poor people in Eretz Yisrael on a regular basis, the Tzemach Sadek also did so. And now with the same thing with all the Tzemach Sadek's community responsibilities, remember, outwardly, the Tzemach Sadek wasn't involved in too many things. Right? He always had people doing it for him. This way, nothing comes back to him in case something goes wrong. So he delegated an individual to be the official person in charge of the project. So at first it was Reb Nechemi of Dubrovna. Um, then it was Reb Zev of Rogachev, like, you know, the Rogachev Goyen, right? So from the same town. And then there was Reb Dan to Markin. Anyways, his uh, complete dedication to the Hasidim and the Veret Yisrael, everyone could see it. And when he sent them the money that had been collected, he would include it in a letter that specified how much money should be given to each individual family. And he made a point to know about the families and the lives of each Hasid. And he personally said, this money is for this family, this money is for that family, to show that he wasn't just like, oh, here's for the Hasidim, do whatever you want. And during his Nasiyas, the Tzemach Sadek allowed and encouraged many additional Hasidim to move there. Among them, among the most famous of them, was his own sister-in-law, the Mittler Rebbe's daughter, Rebbe Tzmenuch Rachel, and her husband, Rebbe Yaakov Kuli Islanim, and their family. They arrived in Hebron around 1845. We already said a lot of stories about her when we did the Mittler Rebbe story. Um, 
She was the one that uh, they said she never got wet from rain, right? She walked between the raindrops type of thing. Uh, she was a very big tzedekis. Anyways, at the beginning of the Tzamaq Sadek's Nesiyas, almost all the Chabad Hasidim living in Eretz Yisrael lived in Hebron. However, after there was a, unfortunately, there was a massacre that, uh, in the summer of 1834, followed by a second one 12 years later, 1846. Some of them, along with many of the newer settlers, they settled in Yerushalayim. Once the community was established over there, so most of the Hasidim who moved there to Eretz Yisrael, they, settled, they chose to settle in Yerushalayim. Um, the most famous of them were two Lubavitch Rabbonim, Harav Baruch Mordechai of Babroisk and Reb Yosef Rivlin, also the Chassid of Moshe Meisels, right, the famous spy. So he ended up in Yerushalayim. Um, must have been pretty old at this time. So after living in Yerushalayim for a few years, they established themselves as an independent community and they bought a building that, were, that, that should house their shul. And shortly afterwards, they named the shul the Tzamach Tzedek Shul in the old city of Yerushalayim, which still exists till today. It's one of the only shuls when the Arabs took over the city in 1948. They bombed a lot of the shuls. They used to be, now they, refi- they fixed all of them. But the Tzamach Tzedek was one of the only shuls that wasn't destroyed at all. And that's because the Muslims decided, the Arabs decided they're going to use it as like a stable for horses or something like that. Which was a very good thing because it meant that it wasn't destroyed. Uh, the, the, when I was younger, there's a shul called the Churva, the Churva shul in, in the old city. So when I was younger, it didn't, it, now you look at it, there's a huge dome on top of it. Well, there used to be a huge dome on top of it before the Arabs came in 1948, and they just, they, they put dynamite inside and they blew the whole thing off. The huge dome. And when I went there, the first time I went there in Eretz Yisrael, they didn't, it, it, they didn't fix it yet. So what they did was they built like an arch, like to go, like just a row of bricks like this to show how big it used to be. By the time I came a few years later, second time to Yisrael, they already built the entire roof and they were already using it as a shul and there were minyanim there. Huge shul, one of the tallest, like single story shuls in the world, I think. So moving on, with, with, the, with all the community issues that were occupying the Tzemach Sadek's time. So the question is, he has tens of thousands and ultimately hundreds of thousands of Hasidim. How does he take care of all of them? Every moment of, his, of the day of his schedule was, was accounted for. Um, 16 hours a day was set aside for learning and writing. Eight hours Nigla, eight hours for Hasidus. Then there was time needed for davening and eating and also other community issues. And he had to sleep, right? So exactly, how did he find, hype, uh, how did he find time to help and be available to every individual chassid? Now, by taking away time from his sleep, so you, you managed to extend your day for a few hours, that Tzemach Tzedek slept only three hours a night and then he would also take a nap during the day for a half hour. So he would sleep a total of three and a half hours a day. This way he's able to give two hours a day spent just for Yechidus, helping each and every available chas, every chassid who, who came to him. However, since the number of chassidim were, was growing and growing, 
more and more of them were coming to Lubavitch. So whatever time he gave is not enough. Regardless, the Rebbe made sure to, to take care and guide each one. And his door was open to every single Yid. <clears throat> At one point, even, so, so he basically started expanding the time for how long Yechidus is, but even that was no longer enough. So the Rebbe told his son, the, the future Rebbe Marash, the youngest son, right? That it's like taking away precious time from his learning. This, this the whole Yechidus thing, he, can't, he doesn't have time for learning, there's much time for his learning anymore. And without responding immediately, so he went to his father's bookcases where many of the Tzemach Sadek's handwritten uh, transcripts of Maimarim were kept. And he points to them and he says, no, Tati, if not for the Hasidim, would you have even been able to write all of this down? Meaning it's, uh, why do you have, why do you learn so much? Why do you write so much? Because of the Hasidim. Meaning don't complain about helping them because the whole reason you're able to write so much is because of them. And he realized the truth of these words and the Tzemach Sadek said, you're correct. Let them all come in, however long it takes. Now at the end of the day, it was too much at the end. Like, just like the Rebbe used to have Yechidus, right? Private Yechidus for people. And eventually it, it changed to, instead of like one chassin and kala going in at a time, they brought in a whole group, right? But even that stopped. So even with this, uh, this you know, to take care of every chassid, this determination, but eventually it couldn't be done anymore. So many people needed assistance and guidance, people would have to wait for days till they got an appointment time. So he realized that there's no way that he could continue this and, and, and keep up helping every chassid like this. There has to be a different way. So, to help with the problem, he personally traveled to many cities to check on the Ruchnius and the Gashmius situation of the chassidim and then he would tell his committee of five, right, these five Rabbanim, to work on fixing this or this or this, and this way it would take care of a lot of the people that were coming to him for Yechidus, it would take care of a lot of their problems. However, years later, even that wasn't enough. There were just hundreds of thousands of Hasidim. Another problem, the government was suspicious of him, so they were watching him, they had spies, so he told people, don't show up to Yechidus for the next six months. Uh, what, what are the Hasidim supposed to do? They don't even allow him to speak to his own children. They don't allow Tzemach to speak to his own children. How is he speaking with Hasidim? Because he was not allowed to leave his house. So, under those circumstances, how is he able to help the Hasidim? So, as the government's restrictions on the Tzemach as it intensified, so he began to involve his very Chashivah's sons, each of whom was a tremendous tzaddik on the, for their own right. And he guided them, his sons, on how to interact with the chassidim. So he gave his sons the ability to give brachas and take people into Yechidus. And this way the Rebbe was able to take care of the needs of thousands of chassidim without having to meet them privately in Yechidus. Additionally, the Tzemach Sedek began to place a greater emphasis on the role of a mashpia. That before a chassid comes to him for the first time, he first has to go to one of the Tzemach Sedek's outstanding chassidim, and he would accept this chassid as his mashpia, so 
the most famous one was, let's say, Reb Hill Parcher, that people would come to him to become a chassid. And the mashpia would guide this new chassid in the ways of chassidic life, explaining the, the, the main things of chassidus, what was expected from a chassid. And only then, after he spent probably a very long time, maybe years, learning with the mashpia, then he prepared to go into Yechidus with the Rebbe. This systematic approach allowed him to basically be involved in his learning, writing, family, community affairs, and also take care of the needs of every chassid without him personally having to do it. But he was involved. One of the points that the Tzemach Tzedek emphasized was that a chassid should realize that he is personally responsible for strengthening himself and not to rely on the Rebbe for everything. That's what Chassidus Chagas does, right? For Chassidus Chabad, you are the one who has to work on yourself. And we'll continue this tomorrow.